6 through 35. Uh, the context here is the early church is gathered and, the, and they're praying after some of their leaders have been released um, from, from prison. And so they're praying and then we see kind of what they do in this setting. So Acts chapter 4 verses 26 through 35, as we read, remember we're reading God's word. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. That's God's word. You may be seated. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this testimony of what this first church did and how they did it and the faith with which they did it. And God, we pray for a similar kind of faith even as we gather this morning. We pray that uh, you would speak to us through your word. We pray that we'd have ears to hear. And uh, we thank you for your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're kicking off a new series today called Building a Stronger Church. And this is a unique series for us uh, as it relates to redemption in that um, normally all six congregations are teaching through the exact same portion of Scripture, the exact same topics, that kind of thing each week. All different sermons, but, but through the same basic uh, flow of things. In this particular series, we're, we're taking six weeks for each lead pastor to address the congregation where they serve and talk about what would it look like to be a stronger church here. The reason for that is each congregation's in a different place. We're about four years old. Uh, Gilbert's about 20 years old and is going through a pastoral transition. Uh, Tempe is about eight years old. They're buying a building. Uh, Flagstaff is about, I don't know, months old, and they're trying to figure stuff out. And so we're kind of each kind of getting some space to go, based on our congregation, what is the Lord calling us to do and calling us to be? And so, so this will be, I, I think, for at least uh, I'm excited about the opportunity to look at how can we be an even stronger church. Now, notice it's not building a strong church. Uh, we think God has already done that. Bless you. Holy smokes. <laughs> uh, was that an amen or a sneeze? God has, God has blessed us with a strong church, and we hope that this series will help us go even stronger. Let me just give you um, some history, some evidence of God's grace to us as a church. God has blessed us abundantly in, in all kinds of ways. 
Um, some of them that are kind of quantifiable, things that you can count. And so I just want to show you, just a couple weeks ago we celebrated our fourth anniversary. This is kind of our attendance pattern over the last four years of us being a church. And uh, you can kind of just see that up and to the right motion, uh, particularly kind of midway, which is about the time we moved into this facility, going from about 300 that first, uh, first half of the first year to almost 700. The last few weeks we've been kind of in the mid-700s, and so uh, there, we had about 40% increase at the 12 o'clock service. So if you're looking around here and feeling like, man, this is getting a little crowded, join us at noon. We'd love to have you stick around for that. But God is, is doing that. And, and, and we don't believe that everything is about numbers and it's all just about how many butts can we get in seats. But, but each number represents a person. Right? Each person comes with real needs and real concerns and has a real life and needs to really know Jesus. And so numbers do matter uh, to a degree. Uh, God has also blessed us. We've been a strong church as it relates to financial stuff. And so let me show you kind of our budget. This has been our budgeted as the elders along the way each year have looked and said, what, what do we think our budgeted needs are? And uh, you see it took a really steep uh, increase uh, going into last year, which really represented moving into this building, adding some staff, things like that. Uh, but when you look at then what's, what you've given, so this is what we thought we'd need, this is what you've given, you see that continually over the four years as a church, you've given more than we needed. And, and along the way, that has gone to, to go into facilities. Some of that overage uh, will help us with facility-type things perhaps in the future. But God has blessed us uh, tremendously in that financial way. And I just want to say thank you if you gave last year. Thank you for supporting the ministry. And thank you because I know, I know you don't really do it just because you love our staff or love stuff like that. You do it because you love the Lord. But thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your generosity in that. Uh, that number, by the way, up top there is uh, 961000 is how much you gave. That's 7% over our budgeted need, which our budget was 900000 So you, So we had a surplus in giving of 7%. And our spending as a staff, we really try to be good stewards. We realize this, we're this is the Lord's money. We're called to steward it well. Our, our spending was at about 888 so we were about 1% under in our spending. So 7% over in giving, 1% under in spending, if only we had a government like that, right? <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, our staff has done a tremendous job, and, and a lot of our budget actually is in the hands of volunteers and people that, that do that, and so um, thank you for stewarding that well as well. So, so that's, that's kind of what's been given. Let me, let me tell you as well then what happened with that money. Where did all that money go? What kinds of things took place with it? Actually, we'll go to, that. We'll go to this in a second. But let me just read to you. And, and I sent you an email that had some of this, but, but this just, just last year, we launched a marriage ministry. We brought Josh Watt on part-time staff to lead students. He's now going to be joining full-time partway through the year. Uh, 20 adults went through Bible boot camp, which is kind of a leadership training using the scripture and all of life. Uh, we had over 70% of adults participating in small groups, redemption communities. We launched a monthly M25 food collection for the poor and needy in our community. We ran our first vacation Bible school for 100 elementary kids. We started a ministry for singles called Redemption Life that just came right out of a couple people saying, hey, let's do something to gather people together. If you're single, you may want to be part of that ministry. We took 40 adults through Financial Peace University. Thou literally tens of thousands of dollars cut in debt 
Uh, dozens of credit cards physically cut as a result of that. Uh, we took 40 or more adults through Shepherding a Child's Heart, helping them do parenting. That class is coming up again. You should be in it. We opened a new classroom wing. We doubled our space as it relates to being able to minister to kids. Uh, we took 18 men through a surge le- school leadership development thing. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. We did incredible ministry with House of Refuge, two big events that we hosted for them where we probably had more volunteers than even they had people there. Um, 50 plus men went through the 33 series, Developing Authentic Manhood. Uh, Dale Thakra's building an incredible ministry to help deal with life-dominating sins called Redemption Exodus Groups. That's going to be launching more this year. Uh, we helped plant churches. And, and you gave over $85,000 to the Christmas offering. So this doesn't even include that. So, so God is doing something. Thank you. You can clap for that. Um, and so as we look ahead to this next year, you can keep it, keep it on this slide for just a moment. Our budget is going to increase, uh, but it's going to increase um, only $50,000. So our budget this year, this 2013, will be less than what was given in 2012. So we feel like it's a pretty conservative move. And here's kind of the percentage breakdown in case you're interested in how that goes. Um, uh, About 41% goes towards staffing and personnel. That's very within kind of normal, even perhaps on the low side as it relates to how churches work. Uh, 13% toward ministries, 10% central ops. Uh, That's uh, kind of a group that helps all of the redemption congregations with HR and accounting and facility maintenance and bunch of stuff like that. Uh, facility costs, of, of that relates to rent and maintaining the property and all that stuff. And then 10% going to community and global initiatives. That'll be church planning, community stuff, international stuff. We'll give almost $100,000 just out of our regular budget uh, towards all of that work. And so that's, that's what's going on. Um, I wanted to tell you this as well. Someone asked me the other day, so since we had this really great end of the year financially, are we going to get donuts back? Because if, if you're new, we used, you know, every week there was an abundance of Dunkin' Donuts. And I said, uh, I said well, he, let me ask you this question. I said, do you think we should spend more money on donuts than on student ministries or on kids' ministry or on small groups or on classes? What would your answer to that be? So, that's, what, that's what this person said. And I said, yeah, we didn't either. And the reality is because we just had grown and the cost of that, it just, we, we started looking at it going, we're spending more money on donuts than on children. <laughs> like, and, our, and our volunteers who run that said, you know what, we can steward this better. We can have a really hospitable, really friendly environment. We can get good stuff. People don't need seven donuts each. And, like, we can do this. And, you know, so, so I just, I so appreciate our commitment to hospitality, but also our commitment to stewardship. And, and you know, as you, as you lead stuff, there's always tensions between doing it excellently and yet being a good steward. And, and so I'm really proud of how our church is, is doing that. And so, so I look at all of that and I say, okay, we've got a strong church. But how could we be stronger? Which, which brings me to this question. Do you know the only places in the Bible where it says that Jesus marveled? Right, like I look at those numbers, and I look at that growth, and I look at all that happened, and I, and I mean, I was, I was, I mean, I had this idea of what might God do if we started a new church, and I look at all that, and I marvel. I go, wow, this is amazing. This is far beyond what Molly and I prayed for. This is far beyond what any of us expected. 
But what would make Jesus marvel? What would make him go, wow, that's amazing. Incredible. You know, there's two places in the Bible where it talks about him marveling. Lots of places where other people marvel, but only two where it says Jesus marveled. The first one was when Jesus was out and he was doing his ministry, and a centurion came. And a centurion was a, a, like an officer in the Roman military, oversaw a hundred men. That's why he was called a centurion. And he had a servant that was sick. And he came to Jesus, as many people did, and he said, Jesus, I want you to heal my servant. But most of the time, when people wanted Jesus to heal, they would say, Jesus, come, come with me. Jesus, come to the house and, and pray for this man or, or um, lay your hands on her or that kind of thing. That was a very typical kind of way to do it. But, th- but the centurion says to Jesus, Jesus, my servant is sick, and as a military officer, I'm a man with authority, and I know what it is that when I say something, people do what I say because I have authority. And Jesus, you have authority. And you don't even need to come to my house. You just say the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. What an amazing act of faith. And here's what what it says about Jesus' response to that in Luke chapter 7. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Saying even among God's people, even among the Israelites, I've never seen this much faith. This is a Roman military officer who many of the Jews would have thought of as an enemy. And Jesus is, the word marvel there means to be astonished. Jesus is blown away. Jesus is like reeling. He's going, wow, I've never seen so much faith. We get a picture from this, what faith is. Faith is trust. Right? The centurion is saying, Jesus, just say, I trust you. Say the word. You have the power. You're good. Just say it, and it'll happen. That's real trust. Jesus is amazed. Now, the other place where this happens it's when Jesus goes to his hometown. He's in Nazareth, and he's teaching, and he's doing these things. But rather than people seeing him and trusting him, they doubt him. And they say, isn't this, who, isn't this Joe's kid? This is Joseph's kid, right? Like the carpenter? Even his brothers and sisters were like, dude, you're crazy. Which is amazing to me, by the way. You would think that they would all be like, we always knew you were weird. Right? But they're like, no. He's... And, and here's, what it, here's what it says in Mark. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Because of their lack of faith. Because of their lack of trust. Only two places in the Bible where Jesus marvels. And they both have to do with either the presence or the absence of faith. Why? Why? What is it about faith? What is it about trust that's so important to Jesus? Right? You'd think he would marvel at other things. You'd think he would marvel at people obeying or people learning or people listening. Or, right? But he marvels at their trust. He marvels at their faith. Why? Well, here's why. is because trust 
is the centerpiece of every great relationship. And what Jesus wanted was for the people he came to save to have a relationship with him. And he knows that every great relationship has as its core trust, right? Think about the best relationships in your life. Maybe it's with a friend. Maybe it's with an old college buddy. Maybe it's with a spouse. Maybe it's with a parent. The best relationships are filled with trust. You know that you have their back and they have yours and you trust them. You trust their heart. Even when they don't do everything right, you trust their intentions. It's filled with trust. Broken and breaking and ended relationships, on the other hand, they break and they're breaking and they end because trust is broken. You go, I don't know who you are anymore. And what, and what you've done is so hurtful that I just don't know if I can trust. And trust can be rebuilt, but it's, it's hard. I read an amazing piece um, that a bunch of people posted to it on, on Facebook this week from the New York Times. Um, wit- written by this, I think, very courageous lady who writes about the damage that happens in a marriage through adultery. And she writes first person based on having herself committed adultery and then later having adultery committed against her. It's an incredible article. It's called A Roomful of Yearning and Regret. She writes about what this is like and she writes about the the passion of of the illicit affair and then the devastation of finding out when it happens to you and and just how all that works. And, And here's what she says. I think this is so insightful as it relates to trust. She says this about her marriage. Our marriage had become like a leaf eaten away by caterpillars where the petiole and midrib remain with some ghostly connective tracery in between, not enough to hold even a drop of rain. I look at my parents and how much simpler their lives are at the ages of 75, mostly because they haven't marred the landscape with grand-scale deceit. You know that it's deceit. That, that ruins relationships, that ruins trust. She says, they have this marriage of 50-some years behind them, and it is a monument to success. A few weeks or months of illicit passion could not hold a candle to it. If you were 75, which would you rather have, years of steady, if occasionally strained, devotion, or something that looks a little bit like the Iraqi city of Fallujah, cratered with spent artillery? She knows Many of you know the damage done by that kind of thing. That feels extreme until you realize that Scripture calls sin adultery. It's adultery against our Heavenly Father. It, it breaks the trust. And many times when we feel like, God, I just don't know if I can trust you, it's because of our own treachery. And so when Jesus sees real trust, when Jesus sees deep faith, even from people who don't know very much, right? Think about this. The centurion probably didn't know about the Trinity. And the centurion probably didn't have all the latest books read. But he had trust, and Jesus marveled. And so as I think about our church and looking ahead, The question I have is, is deep trust, is deep faith in God a mark 
of our church? Would Jesus walk around here, hang out among us, and be constantly marveling? (laughs) Whoa, did you see what she did? Did you see what this little child said? Did you see what this old man gave? Did you see how he spent his time? Wow. Marveling to acts of faith. Because marveling at faith demonstrates that trust is the centerpiece of our relationship. So here's the big idea as it relates to this series. And I'm kind of trying to set up this message and this series with this big idea here. Is that we become a stronger church... When each person's faith or trust grows stronger and deeper. And when you think faith, I want you to think trust. Because oftentimes we think faith and we just think in sort of this religious language. And we're not really sure what it means. And, and we all know, well, I want to I grow my faith. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean you want to be smarter? Does it mean you want to know more? We believe that we become a stronger church when each person's trust grows stronger and deeper. Because trust is the centerpiece of a great relationship. And we want you to have a great relationship with Jesus. Trust was a mark of the early church. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in his second letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says this. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. The NAS says your, your faith is greatly enlarged. Sounds like a medical condition that I don't know if we want to have, right? So we'll stick with growing abundantly. Your faith, your trust is growing abundantly. Guys, I'm so proud of you. This is what this is about. Your your trust in God is growing. It's enlarging. And here's the evidence of it. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. This is what the early church got excited about. This is what Jesus got excited about. It's what we should get excited about, growing faith. Now get this, this is key. Growing faith is not growing intellect. There are people, men and women, who teach in seminaries, training scholars and pastors, who have forgotten more about the Bible than any of us will ever learn. They, They read, right, They can read it in Greek and Hebrew. They can slice and dice all the arguments. And they don't even trust God themselves. So intellect is great. But but growing your faith is not primarily about growing your intellect. It's also not primarily about growing your knowledge. The scripture says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So we can grow in our knowledge, and, and we should grow in our knowledge, right? I mean, we get this. We're, I'm not on this, like, let's not be intellectual, let's not think, let's not know stuff. No. If you're going to grow in a relationship with somebody, you're on trust to them, you get to know them, right? And so we, we got to get to know God, and we offer lots of environments to get to know God. But, but the goal of that, if you think, this year I want to grow in my faith, it's not primarily to grow in your knowledge, because you can know all this stuff and just be a jerk, Right? Load your Bible gun to win every argument. And yet not really have a deep trust in God. So it's not just intellect and it's not just knowledge. It's not just experience. 
But I hope that we always have a great experience uh, together as we sing and as we preach and as we listen and as we spend time together. I, just, I hope that we have great experiences. But there are people who have had great spiritual experiences who don't have a deep relationship with God. They just go from you know, one event, one conference, one high, one concert, one big moment to another, kind of getting their fix like, a, like an adrenaline experience junkie on God. But personally, their relationship with God, their trust in him, never goes deeper. So it's not just intellect, and it's not just knowledge, and it's not just experience. It's not even just obedience. That may surprise you, because you hear me say a lot that a disciple is someone who hears God's word and obeys what he says. But there are many people in the Bible who obeyed the rules and didn't trust the Savior. The Pharisees come to mind. They tithed down to the herbs in their garden. But their heart was far from him. Right, and you know this because some of you, you're in a relationship at work or some environment where someone's in a position of authority over you and you do what they say, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a deep relationship with them. That doesn't necessarily mean you trust them. Just they have authority or they can make you afraid or they can threaten you. And, and some people, they just relate to God like that. Like that's all God wants to do is make you afraid and obey me or else. Right? That's not the mark of a great relationship. And so all of these things matter. Intellect, knowledge, experience, obedience, they all matter. But they're not a substitute for trust. They all should help fuel our trust because the bigger the faith the deeper the relationship. Just consider this for a moment. Consider how Christianity begins. Consider how a person becomes a Christian, right? Because my assumption here is that all of us are in different places. There are some of you here today, this is your first time in church, maybe ever, or for sure in a really long time, and this whole thing is just overwhelming. You feel like, I don't even know if I should be here. I'm surprised I didn't get struck by lightning as I came in. Like, it feels like everyone's looking at me, and I feel weird, and I don't, right? And if that's you, I want to just set you at ease and go, that's how all of us felt the first time we came to a church. That's normal. We are looking at, no. <laughs> but, but, but if that's your spot, we want to help you grow in your faith. Others of you, you've been here. You've been a follower of Christ longer than I've been alive, and, and you feel like, I've heard it all, I've done it all, I've seen every church, I, you know, like, nothing can surprise me. But don't you long to go deeper in your trust with God? Because you long to have a deeper relationship with him. Well, how does this whole thing start? How does a relationship start? Well, it doesn't get more simple than John 3.16. See, faith begins the relationship with Jesus, and faith is what deepens it. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes, whoever trusts in him should not perish but have eternal life. Christianity doesn't begin with a bunch of do's and don'ts. It begins with trust him. And at the root of sin is unbelief. 
the root of what, what breaks our relationship with God is we don't trust him. You remember this? In Adam, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, if you've read the first parts of the Bible, you, you've heard this story. They're walking with God, and then Satan comes, and he begins to fuel seeds of doubt. Can you really trust God? Is God really for you? And they don't believe. And when they don't believe, they don't trust the relationship with God is broken. And the only way that it's restored is by trusting that Jesus has paid our penalty and made us right with him. It starts with trust. And it deepens with trust. Imagine just for a moment that you had perfect faith. Perfect trust in God. Where you had complete confidence that God loved you. You had complete assurance that that anything that comes into your life has passed by God and he's okay with it and therefore you can trust him. You have total confidence that no matter what, God is with you and God is for you. And imagine you had that total sense all the time, every second of every day, and it was the lens through which you looked at every decision you made and every relationship you had and how you did everything was this deep-rooted confidence that God is for you. you imagine that? If you were living that way, if you were trusting that way, what would you worry about? What would you be afraid of? What would God maybe tell you to do that you'd go, I just don't know if I can? Nothing, right? Because trust is the centerpiece of a great relationship. And if you had perfect trust, you'd have this great, deep relationship with God. And wherever you are, our goal as a church is to help it grow. This was the mark of the early church. Let me show you another example, finally back in Acts chapter 4, where we read from earlier. The setting here in Acts chapter 4 is uh, the book of Acts is kicked off with Jesus saying, hey guys, I'm, I've, I've risen from the dead. I'm ascending. I'm going to send you my spirit to give you power. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth and, and be faithful in that. And so they pray and they receive the Holy Spirit and they speak with boldness and all these people come to faith in Christ on one day. And then they, the apostles, Peter and John, they start to do some amazing work, some amazing miracles. And they end up standing before the Sanhedrin, the same exact group that had condemned Jesus to death. And the Sanhedrin is like, hey, you got to cool it with this Jesus stuff. You got to quit saying he's raised from the dead. You got to quit telling everybody we killed him. Stop it. And they say, listen, there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. And if you're going to give us a choice between obeying you and obeying God, we're going with God. Sorry. And they're released. And it says after this release that the believers are together and they're praying. So get this. They're starting to face persecution. They're starting to have people not like what they're saying. And they're praying. What would you pray in that moment? Well, here's... Here it is. Look at verse 29. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to get out of this situation and not have to hear their threats anymore. Is that what it said? Right, That's what we would pray. God, they're against us. Please remove me from the situation. Right? We get in a place at work and we go, 
People say, hey, you can't talk like that here. You know, faith is a private thing. Don't you know about separation of church and state? And you, and you we go, oh, God, God, they're against me. I can't share my faith. God, please move me in a cubicle by someone who's a Christian. God, please protect me. God, please don't let me have to endure this. That's our prayer. Low trust in God. Here's their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. God, the heat is turning up. Give us the guts to stand in there. Why would you pray a prayer like that? Because you have big trust in God. And the rest of the the rest of the chapter outlines what this trust looked like. And, and we read this earlier. It talks about their unity. And it talks about the work of the Spirit among them. And people doing incredible acts of power. And, and people being incredibly generous. So that anyone who had need was taken care of. And you see what life is like when we trust this way. And so the question is, if we trust like they did, might God do for us what he did for them? If we do what they did, might God do what he did for us? That's what it is to be a 21st century with a church with a first century power. So everything we're about as a church and everything we're about in this series is to help us grow. But it raises this question now. How does faith grow? How does trust grow? Right? We know how trust grows in a, in a human relationship, and that seems sort of an easy thing to figure out, but sometimes it's more difficult to think, how does my relationship, how does my friendship with a God that's invisible grow? Well, I've thought a lot about what are the things that have helped me grow personally, and I've, I've asked a lot of people, what's helped you grow? And as I've done that, I've, I've sort of synthesized I've synthesized the answers. This is how people grow. This is how you grow your faith. And there's, there's five ways. The first way is this. Practices of seeking God. Practices of seeking God. Spiritual habits. This is reading your Bible. This is prayer, giving, serving, community, worship, generosity. These are just spiritual practices of seeking God. You, you grow, you're not going to grow in your trust of God if you don't hear his promises from his word. You're not going to grow in your trust of God if you don't talk to him or spend time praying to him. You're not going to grow in trust of God if you're stingy with your time and your money. You're not going to grow in trust of God if, if you don't have other people helping point out your blind spots. Right? You, you just, you're not going to. So we grow, one, through practices of seeking God. We also grow through personal risks, personal risks, stepping out, right? We have, a, we have a whole phrase for it, stepping out in faith, right? And this could be like church or ministry related, like I'm going to meet, I'm going to start meeting with this person and I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to just try to invest in them. It could be that, but it could be, it could be just in any area of life. You're trusting God. I know a couple guys that are leaving corporate world right now to, to start a business for themselves and to try to make it on their own and and I'm telling you, they will pray more in the next month than they did in the last month. Because when you step out in a risk like this, you go, God, you, you, you better come through. I'm, I'm in trouble if you don't. And you take a risk and you get bold, right? And sometimes we need leaders to push us into this way and say, hey, come on, you can do it. And to challenge us to, to take some risk 
Those are two ways. The third way is practical teaching. There's moments where we just go, I got to learn this. I got to, right? Like right now, some of you, your first time parents, and all the people with like three, four, five kids are like, chill out. <laughs> like, and, and it annoys you that they're like, you won't feel like this once you've had, right? And you're like, but listen, for you, what you need right now is like, help me. And so you need to take shepherding a child's heart. Some of you, your financial situation is totally messed up. You'd love to be generous, but you can't because you're so upside down. And, and you didn't grow up in a family that understood money or used it well, and you're just all goofed up. You need to take Financial Peace University when we offer it. Right? We need practical teaching just in time to, to meet the things that we need. Right? Then, then here's a fourth thing is providential relationships. Providential simply means that these happen just, God sort of drops people into our lives. Right? You, you decide you're going to get involved with a group of people, or you decide you're going to serve in something, or you join a club, or you meet someone at work, and, and God just provides this relationship where you go, I, I would have never grown the way I did without that person's investment. And you can't manufacture that, right? Like some of you, you, maybe you lived in another state and you had a woman that was like that in your life and now you're in Arizona and you just feel like you're dying and you're like, I just wouldn't want to meet with anyone I can. And you meet with them and it feels like this arranged marriage and it just isn't the same way, and, right? And it's because you can't always control that. Then the fifth way we grow is pivotal circumstances. Big moments of change, big moments of crisis, big challenges that we face that just come into our life, right? A certain diagnosis, a phone call with certain bad news, a, a, a new marriage or a new baby or, a, or an ended marriage, the death of a spouse. There could be all kinds of things, and, and God uses that to grow us. That's how you grow. If you talk to people and go, how, how did you grow spiritually? It's in one of those five categories. And, and so four and five, we can't, I, we can't control very much. Like, we can't gin up a crisis, right? As church leaders, like, all right, let's manufacture something. We can't do that. And hopefully, hopefully we're providing practical teaching where we can. But here's what this series is going to focus on is one and two. Because I feel like that's, as a, as a pastor, that's what I can do. I can help train you to have practices of, of pursuing God, and I can challenge you to take risk. And that's what we're going to do over the next six weeks together. So, so I want you to be here for this series. I know that some people only come to church a couple times a month. And if that's you, I want to just challenge you. Take the risk. Take the step. Come every week during this series, and then you can take a week off. But be here. Because I want your faith to grow. And so here's where we're going to go over the next couple weeks. And, and we're going to have some teaching on how to, uh, these kind of spiritual practices and some challenges toward them. And all of it is to help our trust in God deepen. All right? And so here's where we're going. The next couple weeks, we're going to talk about how to be close to the Lord. We're going to talk about the role that the Bible and prayer and, and, and fighting sin, the role that that plays in that. And in that part, I'm going to challenge you to participate in something we've never done before. This is a big risk for you. It's a big risk for me. It's a big risk for all of us. We're going to have a 24-hour day of prayer where, where at this facility there will be people for 24 hours straight praying. Now, I don't know that any of us will be for the whole 24, but I'm going to challenge you in a couple weeks so you can just be ready for this. I'm going to challenge you to commit to praying for one of those hours. 
Some of you getting up at 2 in the morning and driving over here to pray for an hour in the middle of the night. That's a risk. That'll grow your faith. So we're going to look at that. Then we're going to talk about growing fruit on other people's trees, the practice of generosity, and and how generosity unleashes um, and and demonstrates our trust in God. And I'm going to challenge you to a 90-day giving tithe challenge. I'm going to challenge you to give more than you normally give. Not because we need the money, but because you need to grow. We're going to challenge you to take that risk. We're going to talk about then, after that, about mine and ours and this idea of ownership and what it is to own and be part of a community that, that, where your name's on the fridge and you're part of things. And this isn't just their church or Luke's church or Matthew's church or his church. It's my church. We're going to talk about that. We're going to challenge you to consider membership and the implications of what it is to commit to a church. We're going to talk about that. And then we're going to finish looking at Jesus' crazy plan to change the world. I want you to be here. I want you to grow. And together, my prayer is that in 2013, we'd, we'd be able to make all the lists and we'd have a graph, but my prayer is that this would be a year of Jesus marveling at our faith. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving us your son. Thank you that we can know you simply by trusting you. Give us grace, we pray. In Jesus' great name, amen.